We left off last time in Matthew 27, 50 and 51. And actually, uh, uh, Christ has just died. So we're picking it up in just those verses that follow that at the end of Matthew 27. Um, but I wanted to, to take a walk today, just briefly, also through what I have on the first page of your handout, which is an approximate timing of what happened between sundown on, uh, on, on, on Thursday and three in the afternoon, and then sundown rather on Friday. So that's what you have here is essentially the, the, the complete uh, Good Friday. Um, and so we begin here. Um, I have all these up on the screen too. If you just want to look at them that way or you can look on your sheet. But uh, sometime in the evening was the Passover meal and the Lord's Supper. Um, when I have uh, been in other parts of the country, especially in my missionary days, I was stunned to find out that people eat supper at 8 o'clock at night in a lot of places around the world. And I, I, I think if I don't eat by about 5, I'm dying. You know, and it's just a different culture, I, I, I suppose, and a different sunset and, and whatever else. But so their evening meal um, sometime in the later evening and the Lord's Supper. And of course, as I said in my sermon this weekend, um, five chapters of John's gospel got spoken by Jesus at this meal. Um, so all kinds of stuff. Uh, was, and, they, and they were singing. And even when I've done a Passover service here at church, usually I have to condense it because my estimate is that a quick Passover meal would be two or three hours. And if you did everything and took your time and talked, and it would be hours and hours and hours of this thing. So around 11 o'clock, I think that they left, about a half hour to walk from wherever they were at a leisurely pace out to Gethsemane. Um, and then Jesus prayed. Um, sometime around one in the morning, maybe a little bit earlier, uh, Jesus was betrayed and arrested. So you have that incident. It's very quick. Uh, that didn't take all that long once it got started. Um, and he is taken then back into the city. They have to walk him back down across the field and in the pitch dark with torches or whatever. And maybe also step around the bodies of sleeping uh, Passover uh, partygoers and so forth, people who came but who didn't have a room and they're, what are they doing? They're probably just outside the walls, sleeping out in the grass or in the stones or whatever, so they gotta pick their way through. But he goes first to Annas, and for Annas, uh, we have to go to John 18. He isn't mentioned in the other gospels, but there was a meeting, first of all, with Annas, and John tells us that that's when Peter made his first denial. Then we go across to Caiaphas's house, and he is there for hours, um, at least two hours. Luke tells us late in Luke 22 that it was, that hours passed actually in between two of Peter's denials. So a long time is spent there at that trial, really the first trial before Caiaphas, the high priest. Then around uh, four, I was just thinking back to my time uh, working on a farm that sometime around 4, 4.30, you get the first rooster crow. Does that match with everybody else's experience? Something like that. 
Um, I don't know. Uh, TJ, later, earlier, four? Does that sound right? Myron, does that sound right? We had roosters, but I didn't get up. You didn't get up. (laughs) I I know that uh, if I was sleeping in one of the barns, and I moved around on the the farm depending on what I was going to do the next day and what my responsibilities were, and when the owner wanted me to guard the 57 Chevy, because that was also something I did, that the rooster crow was awfully early. I just thought of it now. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Three, four in the morning, mm-hmm. and we were next to a farmer who had roosters, and I remember hearing that throw, and it was completely dark. What we would think of as still the middle of the night. Yeah, so three, four in the morning. Your hand up, Diane? No, I was just going to say, you said when I was in Phoenix, I would get up and walk at four in the morning. Mm-hmm. And the roosters, roosters crowing. So the first rooster crow, at least, around that time. Peter's denials are happening here. And then the Sanhedrin met very early in the morning, Mark tells us. Um, And I thought probably five, about the time that the gloaming starts, which is when the sky in the east is no longer pitch black, but you got purples and blues and so forth, or depending on if it's red sky in the morning or whatever is going to happen that day, but a little bit of light. But you still, uh, according to tradition, would not be able to make out in, in front of yourself, without a light, a black thread from a white. So still dark, but you can start to see outlines of buildings and, and uh, you, can, you can walk without running into a horse and things like that. Um, then around 6.30, which is dawn around this time of year, today, was it 6.37? Was that actually sun up? I, I looked it up and, I, and it was in there somewhere. But Jesus now taken to Pilate, um, and Pilate uh, sent him to Herod. Luke also is the only one that tells us about that exchange, that, that there's stuff going on that some of the Gospels kind of crunch and condense. But he does get taken to Herod, and Herod sends him right back. So I just figured we had like the exchange of a, a few minutes, interview time, and then walk in the streets to get back to the other place and whatever. So kind of half-hour intervals. If you, if you recall, it just takes time to do anything. Even in New Ulm, if I make, as I do about once a month, I make uh, a McDonald's run to buy all of my son's milkshakes at night, usually one, one day a month. And even that takes a half hour. And what's McDonald's from my house? You know, 18 blocks or whatever it is. So, and that's with a car, you know. So it takes a while to get places. Um, Jerusalem is a small city, but it still takes time to get places. Then we have the trial, the actual trial before Pilate, when Barabbas is released and all of that. Um, And I was approximating that that would be around 7.30 in the morning, pretty early, um, because we have to have time for the soldiers to beat the tar out of Jesus and whip him and flog him and mock him and do all of that stuff. So the soldiers then mock Jesus around 8 o'clock, And then what do they do? They walk him off to Golgotha through the streets. And there we have a little bit more because it's kind of a parade with two other guys and people jeering and throwing things and and mocking and so forth. And finally we get to 9 a.m. Jesus is crucified. And here, and I read out a room on the screen, so I got to go to a new level. So then we have at the same time, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. 
the first word from the cross. I have these in italics on the screen. And then I have no idea, nobody does, how long before he then said to one of the criminals, today you'll be with me in paradise. But we do know that the criminals mocked him first, right? We heard that last time. So for a while, this, this guy was opposed to Jesus. Then he turns and says, Jesus, remember me. Um, and then he replies with, today you'll be with me. Then sometime between, I'll say, 10 and noon, so I just put 11 for lack of a better time, um, he says to his mother, woman, behold your son, and gives Mary custody of, or rather gives John custody of his mother Mary. At noon, we do know this one, so there's no question mark here. Darkness falls, and Jesus at about this time says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, verse 1, which Jesus said in Aramaic, which is not identical to Hebrew. And so um, one gospel will say, um, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, and one gospel will say, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. They're similar, but there's a little bit difference. And uh, thank you for giving your ministers the benefit of the doubt over the years uh, for not questioning how I say it in worship. Because most of us probably just assume that the way our pastor said it when we were little is the right way. Right? It's what you're used to the most with however you pronounce these words. But it's hard to know because when Greek transliterates Aramaic, you don't have accent marks in the right place. So there's some, they're a little, it's a little fuzzy to figure out how to say the thing. You know, um, yeah, that's all I'll say about that. Except that I never dread reading anything from Scripture except that sentence. Because I always figure there's going to be somebody who's going to walk up to me afterwards and say, you said that wrong. Well, I'm sorry. So there we go. We'll move on from there. Myron. So do they go to the Sanhedrin, which was correct for about 50 years, or is it the Sanhedrin, which I hear about now? I say Sanhedrin. I've heard pastors say Sanhedrin. I have too. That's what I hear. I, I often, you, uh, the, one of the issues is that now we have a lot of audio Bibles, and uh, I've, I've stopped listening to audio Bibles because they say a lot of things differently than I would. Um, and I cringe at some of their pronunciations of, of different things. And so I, I finally gave up. I, I would like to be edified by what I'm listening to and not cringe by what I'm listening to. So yeah, I, I got a problem with that one too. But I've always said Sanhedrin. Um, I don't know where Sanhedrin came from. But, but it, it, however, it could be... Uh, we have a couple different versions of English in the world, and there, there, there could be a difference between British English and American English. There's also a great difference between Eastern English and Midwestern English. And I don't even know what they speak down south, but whatever that, that is and, and so forth. So, Margaret, what did you say? What's different in each region? Yeah, well, right, right. Right, depending on if they have a Welsh background or Scottish or Irish, or if they're, if they're conceited because they went to Eton, or if they're ordinary because they live on the East End, or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Forgive me for judging our brothers and sisters in England. but Now that we have uh, missions there, I should be more gentle with them. 
So around 2.45, I, I figure a few minutes before he dies, he says, I thirst. Um, and uh, I've always understood this, and Pastor Sutton reinforced this with me, that probably that was to wet his whistle before he was going to say other things. So in that last 15-minute stretch, he's thirsty. They go and find something. They grab a sponge and a hyssop plant and dip it in the, in the awful uh, vinegary wine substitute that they used. And he wets his whistle, and then he says, it is finished. And finally, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he dies around 3 o'clock. So whether it's right on the money or whatever, I don't know, but... Somewhere around nine, he was crucified. Somewhere around three, he died. The darkness had continued from noon until three. A divine darkness. Um, uh, if God used the means of some sort, like thunderheads or whatever, then okay. Um, it was more than an eclipse. Uh, something happened that made everything dark, which was the Son of God suffering. Then um, after that, and uh, one of the Gospels here, I forget if it's John, says sometime later. Then I suppose word had to get to different people, but Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who are two members of the Sanhedrin, um, the two who would have, if they had been present, would have voted against crucifying Jesus. They probably weren't even there. I, I wonder if the, if the others just didn't even invite them to that particular vote. Or something like that. Anyway, Joseph finds out that Jesus has died and he seeks an audience with Pilate. He has to wait in line and wait his turn. He finally gets to see Pilate and asks for the body. Pilate is surprised because it happened so quick. Um, and uh, Joseph is given permission. He goes and makes preparations. They get some stuff. It's, uh, what is it, 25 pounds of myrrhs and aloes the Gospels tell us. And uh, he and Nicodemus take the body down. We'll get to that in the slides in a little bit here. And uh, the body is taken down, I figure at least an hour between asking permission and the physical, you know, physically getting to him on the cross and, you know, finding a ladder and whatever else they had to do. Um, and uh, then around between 5.30 and 6.30 then, Jesus would have been, you know, prepared and finally buried, the stone rolled over the tomb. And in their culture, at this time of year, I just shouldn't say culture, at this time of year, sunset, right around 745. In fact, I think tonight it's 747. So pretty close to being right. But with about an hour to spare um, before sunset. And that was the hurry, was to get him buried and to be done with that by sunset. But there were things to be done before they even got that far. So it's, if you think about it that way, if somebody dies at three and you want to get them buried before sundown, you know, you don't have time for a coffee break. You know, there's a lot to be done and, and physical work to be taken care of. So Joseph used his own tomb, and we're going to come to that here in a moment. Any questions I've taken up the first whole half of the class doing this. I hadn't meant to, but any questions about this? Yeah, Colleen. Watching, not taking part. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
doesn't seem like it. Apart from maybe John, who would have had custody of Mary, but uh, it doesn't seem like it. it. In fact, the gospel writers go out of their way to tell us that the women saw. And therefore, especially when you've got a guy like Luke, who used interviews to write his gospel, that's what he says in the opening line of his gospel, that he researched this carefully. So rather than rely on the apostles, I think he's telling us the women were there. So he talked to Mary, 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 Joanna, or Salome, you know, one of, one of those women, maybe a couple of them. You get the idea that, that Luke probably spent quite a bit of time with Jesus' mother Mary, though. Because on the other end of the gospel, you've got, um, what is it, 175 verses you know, leading up to Jesus' birth and of his childhood, where who would he have talked to about that? And because Luke says he did research. Um, the others relied on inspiration and maybe knew some stories, but Luke went and talked to people, so probably to Mary. And here, too, he, Mary would have remembered things. Okay. Now, getting to our text, verse 52. This is just as Jesus has died. Tombs were opened, and many bodies of saints who had fallen asleep were raised to life. Those who came out of the tombs went into the holy city after Jesus' resurrection and appeared to many people. Um, so there's, a, there's a, a question here, exegetically, textually, inter interpretationally. Did these people rise from the dead as Jesus died and then waited around? until they went into the city? Because they didn't appear to anybody until after his resurrection. So, you know, if their tombs were open, did they just kind of sit around in the, in the tomb and not come out and go talk to people? Or is Matthew projecting ahead a little bit that when Jesus rose from the dead, their tombs were, or were the tombs opened, but not until Jesus rose did they then rise and get up and come into the city. Um, and different interpreters have different ideas here. It's hard to figure it out. Um, I like what, uh, uh, there was a contemporary of Luther who got into trouble over something he said once, but his name was Osiander, and he says something good here. He says, the opening of the graves signifies that by virtue of Christ's death, the earth from now on, can no longer retain the dead. So there's a symbolism there to the, to the individuals. But then you, you kind of wonder, um, which saints? You know? And then there's that, that, the, 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 the other issue of, of as they're coming out, um, why did God permit this? When, for example, in Luke 16, there's the guy who goes to hell, and he asks Abraham to send someone to warn his brothers so they don't go to hell too. And Abraham says, son, uh, they have Moses and the prophets. You know, but that's to unbelievers. These um, individuals who have risen are only going to believers who already believe, they already have faith, as just a witness that this has happened. Because how many resurrection appearances did Jesus make? Well, Really, just a few, and mostly to his apostles and some of the women. So what about all the other people in town? Well, these other individuals were raised by God and went to see them. But I, it's kind of fun to imagine 
<laughs> Who would you expect? Adam? Eve? Noah? You know, uh, Joshua? Samuel? Quick raising, quit raising me from the dead. Poor Samuel, you know, because the witch of Endor had done that. What about David? David's buried right there. Solomon, Solomon's buried right there. Um, it couldn't be Elijah. Why not? He was in heaven. But it could be Elisha, right? Or Isaiah, or Daniel, Ezra. What about Joseph of Nazareth? I wasn't thinking of Joseph, the patriarch, but Jesus' foster father, that Joseph. What about John the Baptist? You know, some of these folks. So, don't know. Uh, I, I don't know which one, but uh, fascinating to think about. With many people, I think that the uh, impression would, would have been uh, equally the same if they had seen David or if they had seen their own mom. You know, whichever. Um, they would recognize David. We're shown that in the Transfiguration. You know, the, the, the saints recognize the saints when they're risen and so forth. But um, whatever it was. So curiosity. Go ahead, Larry. We were in Rochester on Sunday, and the minister said there's a huge cemetery in Jerusalem, and everybody's buried with their feet pointing towards Jerusalem. Yeah. So when they got out, they can walk right into Jerusalem. It's the... I don't know that they were buried that way then. They are now. But I don't know that they were necessarily buried that way then. But there is. It is a, it's an enormous cemetery. And it's the entire Kidron Valley. It's everything in between the Mount of Olives and the, and the eastern wall of Jerusalem. You see it if you have ever dared to watch the movie Schindler's List. And if you ever get to the end of the movie... Um, Oscar Schindler, who saved all of these Jews, is buried, was permitted uh, given, to be buried in Jerusalem. He might be the only Nazi buried you know, in, in Jerusalem, but he's there, or he and his wife buried there. And you see Jews paying respect to him by putting stones on the perimeter of his headstone, you know, or whatever. But that's where that is. That's in the Kidron Valley. Um, and uh, uh, so it's right there in Jerusalem, though. Yeah, he also might be the only Nazi whose headstone is written in Hebrew. I think, I'm not sure about that. Um, all right. When the centurion and those who were guarding Jesus saw, well, guarding Jesus uh, with him, saw the uh, earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified and said, truly this was the Son of God. So two things seem to impress these Roman soldiers. I mean, did they come to saving faith at this moment? For them, the crucifixion was nothing but a preaching of the law. We don't come to faith through the preaching of the law. But they were impressed by the earthquake, certainly, and by the loud voice of Christ. In fact, did one of you mention that last week, that people who are dying this way don't... Oh, that was a guy in the evening class... They, they don't make loud shouts and, you know, they can barely gasp, uh, but Jesus did. Uh, um, but the centurion saw the charges that had been made to Jesus. He could read the placard and so forth. Now he knew that those charges were, which, which were 
are morally false. He's innocent of anything. And yet those, the charges that are written there, king of the Jews, that's true, spiritually true. Um, so this may not have brought him to faith, but tradition does say that this centurion, and they, the tradition says that he's also the one with the spear that stabbed him, although that isn't in Matthew, um, that uh, his name, anybody know his name? People surprise me sometimes with the details they know. Longinus is the guy's name. And that he became a Christian and later died a martyr's death, actually. But not here at the cross, but later on became, became a Christian. What did you say his name was? Longinus. Longinus. Yeah. At least that traditionally that's his name. Many women who had followed Jesus from Galilee and had served him were there watching from a distance. They were not right up against the cross. They were, you get the impression they were maybe across the street or across the road or something. Um, among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph. She is also called Mary the wife of Clopas. Um, and, uh, and then the mother of Zebedee's sons. And that would be the woman who in another gospel is called Salome or Salome. Uh, not the girl who danced, but the, 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 this one. And of course, who are Zebedee's sons? James and John, the apostles. And one other Mary is there. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Yeah, and, but, she, but, John, but we didn't get her mentioned here, so I thought I'd throw her in. So you've got at least three Marys. Mary, Mary, Mary. Salome, and then a woman named Joanna is mentioned also in uh, Luke. So, and there may have been others as well. Go ahead. Um, Lee Strobel said, if this was a made-up story, why would he use the same name? Why would you have three Marys? That doesn't make any sense. Sure, sure. And yet, who are they all named after? <laughs> all named after a Mary. <laughs> no. Moses' sister. Miriam, yeah, yeah. So you got you got a ton of Marys, uh, a whole ton of Josephs, because uh, Joseph was the patriarch who who saved the people on on the way into Egypt, um, and so forth. But you've got an awful lot of Joshuas, very popular name. Why Simon? Why so many Simons? Because. The tribe that survives along with Judah is the tribe that was hidden inside of Judah, Simeon. So you've got descendants of the patriarch Simeon who are left over inside of the tribe of Judah. So there are a lot of those. I think families wanted to preserve the name of their patriarch. So you've got them as well. And some Bens and things like that. So I, this is a wonderful picture. It's from one of the movies. But I think that pretty accurately depicts what's going on here with kind of busy activity in the background. It's, it's, you know, we think of Jesus' death as being sort of quiet with thunder in the background and so forth. But today, it would be more like New York City with like streetcars and a jackhammer somewhere and somebody swearing at somebody else and little kids fighting in the background and all kinds of noise and, and things. Because it, it was an ordinary work day. Um, but I want to come back to that idea of it being an ordinary work day because Matthew tells us 
that that changed at this moment. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to come back to that, okay? All right. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.